ladies, welcome back to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser, and this week my guest is Caroline Elizabeth. She is a business coach and marketing consultant. She helps women entrepreneurs get unstuck in their businesses and take action on their ideas, goals with confidence, clarity, and a new sense of control. Caroline began working on herself over 10 years ago after realizing how done she was with the nine to five world, mailing in her office key and saying yes to freelance writing full time. Over the last decade, she has gone from freelance writing for various online magazines, including Canadian Living, Savvy Mom, and momresources.ca to launching and growing a successful content marketing business and now coaching women entrepreneurs on their desired paths. Caroline is a mama of young boys, two of them, and lives with her family in Toronto. Everybody, please welcome Caroline. Thank you so much for having me. So good to be here. (laughs) All the way from Canada. Canada. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That is so cool. Um, So first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for reaching out. Caroline is another guest that reached out via Instagram, I believe. But I'm, I'm loving the people reaching out and asking to be on the podcast because like I'm a one woman show. <laughs> it's hard for me to like reach out to a lot of people, but I love that I've been getting a lot of DMs, a lot of Facebook messages because I am always looking for guests. And I just found out that I've surpassed 6,000 subscribers. Oh, so I'm awesome. so excited. Thank you everyone for listening. And I really appreciate your guys' support. So Caroline, tell us about your journey as a fearless female. Okay, well, first of all, thank you for having me on here. This is a great platform. I think it's so important. And I'm sure that's why you're getting more and more people reaching out to you. So thank you. So so what I do now, because I coach women with their with their businesses, essentially, I help them stop playing small. So that includes myself. And I want people to realize that we're all capable and allowed to lead in whatever it is we do. And just to, you know, I'll get into my story, but there's a lot of hiding behind ideals. So whether that's an industry or a society, and there's not enough sharing the truth of challenges and journeys. So this is another reason why this this podcast is awesome. So my own realization, so life isn't a cookie cutter ideal. And I realized this back in grade eight. So I grew up in a city outside of Toronto. I grew up in a family that went to church every Sunday. We did all of the great things that families like on the Wonder Years families or the growing things on TV did. Like it was very, you know, quote unquote, ideal. You know, I was insecure. Yes, like I was a very tall, lanky young girl. But I think so many of us go through a really awkward, insecure preteen stage, no matter what. But I was in like a really good bubble of ideal life otherwise. But one day my mom, she kind of, she looked at my back. I forgot what we were doing, but she looked at my back and for some reason knew to take me to the doctor. So after some tests, I was diagnosed with scoliosis. And this scoliosis is a curvature of the spine. So mine actually looks like an S. So one side of my waist goes in further than the other. My shoulders are one side higher than the other. And because I was still growing, I was told I had to wear like a brace every night around my torso. And so this kind of just smashed that bubble of ideal for me, I guess, you know, being in grade eight, being 13, I was, I was just like, I was mortified. 
And there was a movie that I would watch called 16, uh, 16 Candles. And in it, there's a girl who wears a brace to school for her scoliosis. And she's taller than the other kids and obviously very nerdy and not who I wanted to be. So it was between a brace or surgery. So I had to go with the brace and kind of be like that. <laughs> I felt like, you know, it just was mortifying for, for a young teenage girl. So, you know, every three months, I'd have to travel an hour to Toronto to get that brace resized. I just felt like I just, it's, we all go through our own stuff. And for me, it was just, you know, I felt like a loser for three years. So let's talk about scoliosis. How does that happen? Is it just something that happened because it's genetic or is, are you the first person in your family to have something like that? And after doing all of the braces, does it just the braces help like where you don't have it now? So it's not genetic and no one knows how you how the spine curves like that. And as I've as I've grown older, I've realized, you know, more and more people have a curvature of the spine as a teenager. So it's just where the spine curves. And so you're you're crooked like you're not you don't have the straight nice spine. You have this crooked spine and the doctors don't know where or how it comes about. It just happens. So the brace is just to stop it from continuing to grow. So they put young young girls and boys into this this brace to help them from, you know, keep them from growing cro- more crooked and crooked. Uh, so that does help. Other people opt for surgery. So they put a pole in their spine and Ooh. Yeah, it's a major, it's a major surgery. So I didn't... I, that sounds major. It sounds <laughs> awful. So yeah, so it just, I was, I was hooked up with, um, with a pen pal out of St. Louis. And so she was going through the same thing as me. And, you know, the doctors here and the doctors there, like they all, they all recognize that, hey, this is going to make, you know, make you feel a little alone and a little different. So I did have someone to talk to there. But Otherwise, I didn't have too many people to talk to. And in the 90s, there wasn't, you know, the internet and there wasn't that ability to reach out to different people around the world and feel like you're, you're in a community. So it did make me feel, you know, I retreated a little bit into myself. And you only had to wear it at night or the whole day? At night. So I wasn't like, I don't think a lot of people realize that girl in 16 Candles has scoliosis mm-hmm. until, uh, until I was diagnosed and I saw these braces. So some people have to wear these, these things during the day. And I don't know how it is now, but in the 90s, it was just so uncomfortable. So think oh, yeah. brace, like head brace on your head, but on your, you know, <laughs> on your torso. So it was, yeah. So this whole, you know, idea of okay I live in this great family and this life and whatever I was just suddenly you know felt very very different and ashamed are you an only child or did you have more sisters and brothers no I have two brothers I have two brothers and neither one of them had that no no so that made you feel even more alone even more alone and yeah and just felt very yeah very very different from the the rest of my family and I mean I remember one thing that sticks out is a you know a trip planned with my school we were going to Quebec City which is about eight ten hours away from us 
And my mom, I almost didn't go, but my mom, you know, she sat me down with the guidance counselor and had me select a couple girls. They weren't even my friends. I couldn't tell my friends, you know, so girls are kind. Yeah. So I developed this real sense of shame and my two brothers, they didn't understand. So when they, you know, told my friends or boyfriends in high school, I would just be so mortified. And I couldn't say the word scoliosis for years. It took a long time. But what I didn't realize at that time was having this also gift, gifted me that opportunity to, to really work on and develop my inner strengths. So it really was a big character building experience. Going back to like before you were diagnosed, do you think that it like completely changed who you were? Like you were bubbly, you were happy, and then all of a sudden you kind of retreated? Because I would assume you would. Yes, definitely. Definitely did. Like I said, you know, I, I didn't know anybody in my community who, then again, we didn't talk too much about this. You know, I feel like society has really opened up in the last, you know, a few decades and thanks to the internet, but there wasn't a lot of talk. So, you know, you just kind of had to go by what you saw at school. And so, of course, there are a lot, a lot of different kids going to, you know, going to my school, but nobody seemed to have any understanding of what anyone else was going through. So it just, it did feel very, having that experience just really made me develop this sense of shame that I didn't have before. Yeah. Oh, the 90s. <laughs> when we oh, all, the 90s. I know. When we all pretended we had a great family at home. <laughs> well, that's it. We just had magazines to go by. So, you know, I would just get my 17 magazine every week and just be like, oh, that girl looks like she's having a great life. And yeah. just everything was really glossed over. And, you know, another thing, another event that, you know, really helped me, I think, is when I was 15, I mean, I'm, I'm 5'10". So growing up in, in my community, I was very, very tall. And I was approached in my local mall by um, like a big time model scout in my local mall. And uh, I did some modeling through high school. And that was fun. And it kind of gave me a sense of, hey, I'm you know, I thought I was confirming to myself or it gave me a sense that, hey, this is this is a lot of fun. This is going to give me some more just a new sense of myself. Uh, but honestly, models back then were not celebrated for their differences. And I, I don't know, maybe they're not now either. But the rejection, I faced some rejection. So that along with the brace I had to wear, you know, actually helped me kind of see so between rejection and feeling very different and you know having this interesting experience in this modeling world just did actually become fuel for successful choices later on interestingly enough so I got to kind of realize that a you can always get back up when when you're pushed down so you know I felt like I was getting pushed down a lot in my early teenage years, but then I would keep getting back up. I didn't allow the shame or any form of rejection really get me down or, you know, depress me. So that was interesting. And B, dreams that you, you know, you initially have can fall through because you grow and that's okay. So, you know, getting, getting that experience early on, being able to, you know, go to Toronto and, and be that model and all of that and, and then facing major rejection. You know, I, 
I realized I wasn't truly like you don't have to go with where you think that you you your life is going to lead. It doesn't necessarily have to go that path. And once you do go through a path that you think you're going to lead on, it might change. You might just shift gears and that's okay. And, you know, we all have choices. So there isn't just one hole we all have to fit into to be accepted into society. So that's another thing that that period of my life really taught me. So did you eventually stop having to wear the braces? I did. Yeah, I did. So about 16. So you're already well into your teens. Yeah. So then you go off to college and you have like this, like you're back to yourself. You have confidence because you were a model. And so. But then also rejection. So also a lot of rejection there. Like my mom would even say, you know, you you might be getting rejected because you have this massive curve in your spine. (laughs) Thank you, mom. (laughs) But that really did, you know, make me go, wow, yeah. Um, But it also led to me making some really amazing choices for myself into my 20s. So I do think, you know, these periods that we go through doesn't have to be the be all and end all of your life. You can use them as, you know, as platforms to make some serious, amazing choices later on. So I think having this kind of unstate, like instability in some way, this it hurt my self-esteem as um, so many teenagers go through, but mm-hmm. it did help me kind of realize. So when I graduated university in my 20s, and I thought I was going to become a social worker, like my dad, which is another kind of ideal life path that, that was kind of set forth for me. I did a 180 and just decided to go into the big city and do PR and communications instead. Like I just, I think just having this, you know, early teenage life, feeling different from everybody and then suddenly being okay, okay with it because I was surviving through this, that period, I I started to really develop that inner strength to make these hard choices So parents think I should go one career path. I, in my 20s, just was deciding, hey, I don't want to go on this career path. I want to make a major shift. It was like you were trying to take your control back. Yeah, it was. And so coming, you know, we all we all experience these kind of hit hard in life. Like we all have periods of lows and periods of highs and how you kind of get back up is is the most important thing. And, you know, there's no such thing as an ideal life. There's no such thing as an ideal path. You have to be able to navigate everything that comes your way. So I remember too, you know, in my 20s, just like I also was able to not only leave a certain career path, but then also leave an unhealthy relationship. So I lived with a boyfriend who became quite emotionally abusive. And after five years together, which is forever in your early 20s, I made I had that strength to just find another place to live and move into. So I don't think I would have that strength within me if I hadn't have gone through what I, you know, feeling different and just, you know, going through the highs and lows and rejection and everything in my teenage world to to leave, you know, like a relationship like that or find my own apartment when I had never lived on my own. And so that was another big thing in my life that like I have so many big instances, you know, it, it, it's really interesting. And that actually led me to kind of going, leaving the corporate world and starting my own thing. 
And so, yeah, like, you know, I need to kind of really think through, okay, these are the big, big, big events in my life that have led me doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Well, during that time, like when you were trying to decide, you know, going to college, not doing what your dad told you to do or what your parents wanted you to do, and then going into PR and then working there and then leaving that emotionally abusive relationship. Did you at any point go through therapy or how did you get so much insight? Because you're still young. I mean, I went through college, like not knowing what the hell I was doing. (laughs) And I too rebelled, you know, all my sisters are teachers and they wanted so bad for me to be a teacher. And I just was like, I don't, I cannot see myself in a classroom with 30 yelling children. I just, I went the opposite way. So, you know, obviously you probably got a little bit of setback, I guess, like, you know, I got a lot of it. Like my sisters were like, no, you should do this. You should do that. And I'm like, no, I'm not setback, but pushback, you know, like, did you get that? And, and you still went forward. And then what made you decide? No, because obviously you're still young, you know, because I feel like that young, 23, 24, you feel as if you know everything yeah. and you don't need anyone's advice. <laughs> but I'm, it's really like smart of you to realize, hey, I, you know, don't want to be in this nine to five every day. And I don't want to be in this relationship where this guy treats me like crap. So like, that's why I'm asking, did you have any sort of therapy or any great mentors during that time that helped you guide you through? Yeah, I wish I did. Honestly, if I did, I wouldn't have gone through. I I still had this emotional turmoil in, in my mind. I honestly, you know, it took me so much might. I don't know what it was at the time because you're right. I mean, when you're in your early 20s, you're not you're not seeing things the way you do when you're, you know, I'm turning 40 this year and I look back and I'm just like, wow, you know, I had so I now have so much more insight than I did then. So it was it was not easy. I got a lot of pushback making the shift from, you know, on my path to becoming a social worker like my dad. And then making this whole big decision to leave my, like my hometown had my, had my school in it too. So I, you know, I left my family for the first time and they didn't like it, but there was just something within. And I think that's why I, you know, I brought up that story of the brace because it did really fuel something, give me fuel that I don't think I would have had like an inner strength, just knowing, Hey, you know what? I I came out of this. I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it was, hey, I'm I'm different, I guess. I feel different and I still feel, you know, I'm not different kind of thing. Like, you know, you go through this period of I feel different. I feel like that 16 candles girl, you know, I feel like such a nerd. But then realize, hey, I'm not so different after all like really you know like we all have our own things and I think it was just little tidbits like that that just allowed me to see life in a lens that allowed me to make decisions and know I'll still be okay I think where if I just grew up in this bubble of you know family going to church every every Sunday and you know having this life of you know, two brothers and, you know, just going through the motions of everyday life without any hurdles, I would have had a much harder time making these big decisions in my life. I think these hurdles help us all make the best decisions for us. So I, yeah, so I wish I had a mentor. I wish I had that. I think I would have handled things better. (laughs) I'm happy I pushed through. I think one of my mantras, one of my mantras for the longest time was sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. And that's okay. 
a good mantra. Yeah. And I don't know where that came from, but it just, it did, you know, help me keep going forward. Yeah. I think as human beings, we want no change. And a lot of people, I think because of the 50s and the 60s and, you know, everybody lived in the suburbs and every had, everybody had 2.1 children and everybody had the white picket fence. And that was what we were told was the American dream or the Canadian dream or, you know, and it's like, this is what you should strive for is get married, get a house, get a, you know, a corporate job, you know, get retirement and like live your life in happiness. Those were the commercials. It's what marketing teaches us. And then we realize there's actually a lot of stuff that we're going to face problems, you know, betrayals, hurts, pains, like sicknesses. And then when we face those, it's like no one ever gave us the tools on how to face them or what to do or how to handle them or how to even get through the change, you know, because now it's a new change. It's a new normal. Like I think to myself with Kobe Bryant passing, I could not sleep. I was thinking about like, how Vanessa is going to wake up the next morning and live her new normal without her husband, without her 13-year-old daughter. And, you know, and it's like, you know, I'm going through her Instagram and she's got this beautiful life. She's had this beautiful life ever since she's met him. And now everything will completely change. And that's where, yeah, nothing is going to be ever the same. That's right. That's right. Nothing is ever set in stone. That nothing. So you, yeah, you, you can't just take every, anything for granted in life, you know, and just I know. So just going to the, the corporate life or whatever, I think I think it kind of almost hurt my corporate path anyway, because I had I had already had this, I don't know, this this outlook uh, that nothing is set in stone. And if I'm not happy here, I don't have to stay, you know, <laughs> which is not good, which is also not good. But it also it's actually really good, though. It, it is. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it is. I think in my early 20s, it was just also, okay, I'm, I'm out of the, the norm of all these early, you know, 23 year olds trying to, trying to, you know, be something they're not in these jobs when they were clearly unhappy. I really do believe that that's something very important. I just did an episode, 26 lessons I learned before my 40th birthday, because <laughs> my birthday was January 26 and I turned 40 and I did a, a lesson a day until my 40th birthday. And one of them is, you know, life is too short. If you're waking up on Sunday, dreading to go to work on Monday, something has to change. And a lot of people don't think that. They think, oh my God, I've already been here for 10 years. I have to stay here. You know, I've already, I'm, I'm so close to like, you know, making my 401k fully funded. I should just stay. But if you're miserable, you, you should, should leave. leave. Yeah. You know, you should leave. If you're miserable and you hate it there and no one's respecting you and your bosses don't treat you good. And every day, I mean, you spend 80% of your week at your corporate job on any nine to five. Why not spend 80% of your week happy rather than miserable and just looking at the clock and waiting to be released? That's so true. And I, I remember seeing or helping celebrate people's, you know, 20th years in in corporate and thinking to myself I don't like I, I can't I can't be here anymore you know these dream jobs that I worked so hard to, to land I really found out quite quickly which is actually a really that's a really good thing you know not 20 years later but quite quickly nine to five is not for me and that's okay so I found that out too like I graduated from college and my whole dream well because my dad was an entrepreneur and 
you know, growing up, we didn't have any money. Like there was all, we were always broke. And when my dad did get like a project and he got paid, we lived like Kings, but 80% of the time we lived very poor. And I used to think to myself, I'm never going to be like my dad. I'm going to get a job, work nine to five, and I'm going to make a paycheck every two weeks and I'm going to be secure. But I was miserable. I remember at like 24, I was like in the shower, getting ready to go to work. And I was bawling my eyes out thinking, this can't be life until I retire. This literally cannot be my life until I retire. And I mean, I had over 21 jobs in my corporate career because I was in real estate, I would get fired. But like, I would always quit when I just felt like this, this can't be it. I got to find something else that makes me happy. But every corporate job I took, I was like, I'm miserable in this cubicle because (laughs) I mean, I'm sure you hear this all the time. Oh, yeah. I think that's kind of what is keeps us, you know, there's an entrepreneurial spirit that you have there that kind of keeps people away from the nine to five or wanting to leave the nine to five. I feel like so many of us who now work for ourselves has that in common, you know, that a realization, first of all, you have to be self-aware to make that move. And then, you know, leaving and that is not easy. So, you know, when I, I think my comfort with rejection and not fitting into that ideal mold or whatever helped me, I think, with business as I think helps so many other people, you know, we all have that, they're like that inner reason for going on our own path. So I was 28. And I was freelance writing on the side. And I just I decided to just quit it all. And now granted, I did have the support of my my husband, we had just gotten married, he saw I was really, really, really unhappy. But we were nowhere near getting to, you know, we're like, we were living in our basement apartment, we're just like, you know, we were just kind of making it. Yeah. So you weren't like financially set. No, not at all. So he, you know, he took a chance with me. And so I'm forever grateful for that because it just, you know, I I just was so unhappy. I wasn't getting treated properly. So I felt like I was in yet another abusive relationship and really just realized, you know what, if this isn't going to work, it's never going to work. Let's, let's just do this. So I mailed in my office key with my with my letter. And I, you know, I explained. So you didn't even give like a two week notice? I didn't. No. And so this is another story that that could go on and on. Oh, there's no judgment here. I quit my job. I I literally got a box from the garage went because I was a property manager. I went like in the middle of the night, cleaned out my desk and left a note on the desk. Like I did not I did not give a two-week notice either. No, I, I know. And you're taught all these things. Don't burn bridges and all of that. But if if it's not right for you, and in my case, you know, there wasn't that that respect at all coming from them. And thankfully, I had already kind of expressed some... For some reason, I came to the office one day with vertigo. I didn't even realize that that could be tied into stress. So this is this was really good because when I mailed in my office key and explained to the HR woman, you know, what happened, told them, and then I got on the phone with, I had an opportunity to talk to an employment lawyer for some reason. And he told me, oh, well, you could still get some, you know, some money from the unemployment if you were able to say it was constructive dismissal. And so I thought, okay, that this is 
it actually worked in my favor because the HR I already had on file that I was stressed out. And I, it's not that I couldn't handle it. It just, it worked out that I ended up getting some unemployment for a couple months, which really helped. Yeah. And I wasn't one to complain ever. It just, it wasn't like that. It just kind of worked out that, hey, these instances, okay, I had vertigo. That was from stress. I, you know, I left and I had to leave. I had to. So that was just, just one of those. But I think honestly, it just really, really made me see, okay, what do I want out of my life? And let's go get it. And I had already had opportunities coming in with the freelance writing. So that was also a saving grace. And so that led me to just, you know, also realizing, hey, you know, I want when I was ready to evolve from the freelance writing to my marketing business, my content marketing business, I was ready, you know, I wouldn't take any, I wouldn't have any second guesses. And then, you know, over the years, just seeing how my own progression and working with businesses and clients and just, you know, again, facing rejection in business as you do, or, you know, doing things that scare you. It was a natural progression to coaching women with their businesses. So I've seen, seen it all. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't understand coaches because I'm a coach, you're a coach. And it's like, it's almost like we found you know, the other side. It's like now we're like, oh my gosh, you guys have to come to the other side. It's not like, you know, we want your money or anything like that. It's like, we want you to live your best life. And that's the thing. It's like you, you realized it. I love that you realized it at 28. It it took me, I think I was 37 when I finally quit corporate America. And, you know, it's good because you didn't waste all those extra years that I wasted. But I mean, now you're coaching women and you're helping them realize like, hey, you can get out of that corporate prison and like live your best life, you know? And I think that's so great. It's because that's how we, that's what we should do as humans is not compete, but collaborate and help each other. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I love small business and, you know, and just, well, and coaching and just being in that kind of entrepreneur community is that there is a lot of that helping I saw a lot of that kind of, you know, wanting a promotion, going, you know, going behind people's backs in corporate. And of course, there's that there as well. But I really, I really can see the whole collaborative aspect of, of, you know, the business communities, especially with women. I love that there's so much support. I love that there's so much connection and communication. But there is also, you know, that part where you're just you feel alone at times and you feel you know, scared, afraid to take that next step. And so that's exactly, I just, I, it's so important to me just to say, you know what, you may have gotten into this, this business, or you may have chosen this path or whatever, but it's okay to either let that evolve or make choices to, you know, make it better for yourself, make, you know, create a new opportunity if you have to. Nothing is ever set in stone. There's no such thing as, you know, as these rules. Somebody made the rules. I would always say somebody made the rules. You have to be able to pivot. Yeah, you have to be flexible and you have to be able to pivot and you have to be able to, you know, change your direction. If it's not working, then move. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what that's what's business. Like if you're starting a business and it's not working, then you need to figure out why it's not working and move, you know, and like, okay, it's not, this is not the practice that's working. Let's try something different. And I think having a business coach, so I started coaching and mentoring women and I didn't even know that I was doing it. Honestly, I was doing it for free. 
I was doing it for free for two years. And I was like, oh my gosh, ladies, you've got it. And, you know, I would send out Facebook messages and I would get all these women and, and they would love like all their changes and stuff. And I remember talking to this woman and she's like, you know, you're basically a life coach. Like you should just get paid for it. And I'm like, wait, what? And she's like, yes. And then it was like, I started the life coaching business, but then I didn't know what to do because it's like you said, it's a lonely entrepreneurial world, which then I hired my own mentor. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people, they're like, well, I don't need a coach. I can do this by myself. But honestly, you do need someone. You need someone who's already done what you want to do and is going to is willing to guide you because it's almost like you've already done all the mistakes. You've already know which route to take. So it's like, why not hire you? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that you, I like that you mentioned that because, you know, going back to the early, my early twenties, I was making all these choices on my own. Awesome. But the best thing that I have ever done is hire my own mentor and coach and the best. And before that, just seek out mentors. So, you know, I had, I would always find someone to help me mentor, you know, mentor me, somebody, well, my, my next door neighbor kind of guided me to become a coach in the first place. So there is, it's always important to, you know, seek out those helpers. And then when you do hire someone that is a game changer, absolutely. And that is what, yeah, because you're investing in yourself, you're not just taking, you know, advice, which you could easily, you know, be taken for granted. But when you're investing yourself, it's an intentional decision. So that was definitely the best. I wish I did that in my 20s. I didn't even know coaches existed back then. I didn't know, you know, so I did hire a therapist to help with anxiety and and just realized this happened after I had my first first child 10 years ago. But that was kind of the, the, in my 30s, I think I decided I'm going to start hiring people, therapists, mentor, coach. In my 20s, I tried to do everything myself. <laughs> so, yeah. So. I think it's like, as we're getting older, we start to realize that we really can't do it all by ourselves. Like yeah, we can't, yeah. we need a village even. And we don't have to. We don't have we to. we don't have to. And there's yeah. so many people out there with different expertise. Like you said, you have your therapist, you have your business coach, you know, you have somebody that's probably helping you with anxiety. It's like, you need a person that's going to help guide you. And the best part of it is, is that person that's guiding you has already been down that path, has already gone down that journey. Like, for me, like listening to your bio and reading it, I'm like, dang, I want to do that. I want to be a writer. You know, I've always wanted to see, because I see this on Instagram, this lady always like promotes her course on like how she writes for different magazines and stuff and gets paid for it. And I love writing. I have a blog that I need to actually update. But um, I think to myself, oh, I should hire her and, you know, I should have her help me. And, and that's the thing. There's someone out there that has the clues and the keys. You just need to find that person. Like it's one of Jack Canfield's success principles, success leaves clues. And that person is actually so willing to help you get to that place that you want to go. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, as we wrap up this episode, Caroline, what is your nugget of wisdom for any woman who is out there listening to this podcast, probably miserable in their corporate job? <laughs> what would you say to that lady? So I I really believe that every ideal is made up by somebody, right? So these ideals in life that you have to look a certain way or act a certain way, be a certain way, follow a particular path, 
even if it's your business path that you chose for yourself or the corporate path. But this is made up of someone else's ideal. And at some time, somewhere, you know, you need to really, you know, take control of your own life and write your own story. So why not? I love that. Write your own story. Stop letting someone else define you, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys again for listening to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. Please rate, subscribe, and share this episode with all your fearless female friends. You can find the Fearless Female Podcast on Facebook, the Fearless Female Movement, on Instagram, Fearless Female Podcast, and my personal Instagram is at Paola Rosser. Caroline, how can my listeners find you? Okay, so you can find me on Instagram. So find me at I am Caroline Elizabeth, and that's Elizabeth with an S. And yeah, you can also find me on my website, buildyourbrilliance.com. Perfect. All right. Thank you guys again. Tune in next week for another episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.